The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, Lord. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that they had and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, o Christ. Hallelujah. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This week, a friend of mine had two people tell her that they could not spend any more time with her. One said that she just could not be around evangelicals anymore. They were toxic, they were bigots, they were hateful, and the mere presence of one was too much. Another said that she could no longer attend events hosted by my friend because they were too compromising on orthodoxy. To attend would lend support to ideas contrary to what Christianity was all about. This turn of events left my friend annoyed, if not disappointed. Uh, on the one hand, she was seen as too conservative, too evangelical, too opposed to basic goodness and kindness. Her very presence triggered anxiety and fear. On the other hand, she was not evangelical or conservative enough. She hosted events that allowed for diverse points of view, not unlike the debate we're going to be hosting in February. And attending such debates or events was straying too far from the singular way and truth and life. You can't win for losing, I guess. But in fact, one of those viewpoints is more right than the other, and they both serve as a reminder that the name of Jesus demands a reckoning. Jesus' name is shorthand for the uncompromising standard of righteousness that must be avoided or embraced at all costs. If it is avoided, well, then you might do so because Jesus would interfere with your way of life. Or his name is embraced because you seek Jesus as your Lord. There is no middle way. And yet a middle position is often sought, uh, a, some moderated position that makes both sides happy. 
The Christian often hopes to present a Jesus to the world that is not offensive, who loves everyone, who is perfectly reasonable. I have come to really despise the word reasonable when speaking about God. Because that Jesus does not exist, such a strategy must be rejected. Such a middle ground position will always come at the cost of some truth. Sure, in a business deal or in a political setting, compromise, I guess, is often necessary to get anything done. But when it comes to Jesus, there can be no compromise. For Jesus is the rescuer, the savior of his people. And a savior saves his people And in so doing, he says to those who have rejected him that they are not saved, that they have rightly earned the wrath of God. That is what the name Jesus means, after all, as the children were reminded this morning. The word Jesus in English comes from the Greek Jesus, which is itself from the Hebrew Yeshua, which we call in English Joshua. And I think we've lost a little something when, with this transliteration of names. I think the, the, the New Testament Christians, if you will, they would have immediately connected Jesus with Joshua in that story. Just as Joshua is the rescuer or deliverer of his people, so too was Jesus said to be the new Joshua for the Israel of God. Now, it's not like he was the only Yeshua around, Uh, There were lots of other Yeshuas. It was a pretty common name in in Jesus' own day. Uh, So it's not that his parents could have known what his fate would be given his name, but it is the only appropriate name for Jesus given what he accomplished. Yes, Jesus rescues his people from the righteous judgment of a holy God. He even saves us here and now. In teaching us to love one another and even to love our enemies, he has shown us a far better way to live. Jesus makes many evil deeds unthinkable for the person who follows him. Jesus would if we would only listen to him or if we could perfectly obey, which I understand we cannot. But if we could, it would save us from all evil. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if all of our economic and social and civic and political leaders were truly followers of Jesus? Of course, that would be a better thing. And so that's why the name of Jesus is either terrifying or beautiful. Jesus is either your savior or he is your judge. And that is why Some must resist him and his uncompromising nature, or they embrace him and find their rest in him. Back to my friend who was understandably hurt and a little perplexed. I told her, well, I'm sorry to be a perennial pessimist, but get used to it. There is less and less neutrality or perceived neutrality when it comes to Jesus. In truth, there has never been any neutrality when it comes to Jesus. It has always been a myth, a myth that we could tame the lion 
keep him in his cage or at arm's length, and just bring him out when needed. It has always been a myth that God will allow us to take him or leave him. It has always been a myth that God would be neutral towards us if we were neutral towards him, you know, not hostile, but not outright loving either, you know, as if God would honor some kind of demilitarized zone that we had constructed. The myth flourished for a long time because it was propped up by a specifically Christian culture, by specifically Christian values and ideas. But a pervasive force has changed that. A pervasive force has gradually infiltrated that ancient culture, not like the leaven of the Christian gospel, no, more like battery acid. Secularism, defined as the rejection of God and the overconfidence in man, has proven to be so corrosive that we do not even know what a man is, what a woman is, what a human being is anymore. Everything we are told is relative, except for that statement, (laughs) right? That's absolute. It's self-defeating, you see. Any one truth is as good as another. It is literal insanity. It is literally illogical. But no one seems to care. And that is now in every aspect of our culture, from our currency to our entertainment to our biology to our foreign policy. Everything has been infiltrated and influenced by the secular vision. In truth, secularism more resembles a religious cult than some kind of neutral worldview, which it says that it is because, you know, the science and so forth. And it has moved the culture radically away from Jesus. No longer seen as the Savior. Oh, no. He is now the problem. He commits the cardinal sin, after all, of standing in judgment of other people. He has created cis-normativity that promotes evils like the nuclear family. He is patriarchal, and he is definitely a white supremacist. We laugh, but make no mistake. Jesus is hated by secularists. They want no part of him or his people. They don't even pretend to co-opt him. They won't honor him even with lip service. And the pervasiveness of the secular mindset makes the division that exists, that myth of neutrality, so much easier now to see. All you have to do is open any newspaper on any day in any Western country around the world. If you have not had friends yet who have told you, you know, I don't think I can be around evangelicals anymore, you either have mostly Christian friends or you don't talk about controversial subjects, or you just need to give it a little more time. The name of Jesus will become more and more repulsive to more people, shy of a revival. For while Jesus saves us from God's judgment, he also reminds us of our need for salvation. 
And that is intolerable to the secularist who has convinced himself that he does not need God for anything, much less salvation. The name of Jesus is a beautiful name to those who are being saved, but it is a judgment for all who insist on living life according to their own terms, who have not ceded all ground to Christ. My friend experienced both sides of that coin in one day. If there is any solution or response that, it is, that is better than another, it is erring on the side of an uncompromised Jesus. All of his sweetness and all of his power and all of his authority and all of his grace, it is all of a piece. The scoffers will scoff, the haters will hate. Let us not compromise our values in hopes of appeasement. For the name of Jesus is an unsurpassing joy for the one who trusts in him, but something else for the person who does not. And I suspect that that will become more clear in time. May all knees bend to the name of Jesus sooner rather than later. But make no mistake, every knee will bend at the name of Jesus. Amen.